Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. I hope everybody's doing well, and thank you for joining us and making a commitment to learning. Um, we are your hosts this week, brought to you by the letter H. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm Jordan Porter, and I'm joined by the happy, humorous, and heavenly Yvonne Brandenburg. Oh, oh. I think it's awesome that those are the words you came up with because when we were Googling it, it was like all these really bad words. I know. Hellish. Horrendous. Yeah, exactly. And then you're like, I got it. I'm like, oh God, this is going to be horrible. <laughs> I would not be horrible to the happy, humorous, heavenly oh my Von Brandenburg. <laughs> Thanks, Matt, for your suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know what we're talking about last week, um, so Matt uh, made the suggestion in the beginning of the podcast to do our goofball, what, what is it? Just like how we, of descriptions each other. Yeah. of each other, exactly, um, with, uh, uh, with a specific letter <laughs> for each of the descriptive words. So we did M last week, today we're doing H. Um, I mean, we may do an A and a T after this, just saying, and we'll get Matt out of the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's what we did. Cause why not? We can mix it up. <laughs> yeah. And, and feel free to send us an email if you have a suggestion. Cause you know, we like to change it up a little bit. It's been almost a year of doing this podcast right. and we were doing it the same for <laughs> 10 months. Yeah. So why not switch it up a little bit? <laughs> yeah. It's fun. Uh, We're nerds. We are. Yes. <laughs> yes, we, yes, we are. If you have not figured that out about us, we definitely are. I think it's called a hashtag. I'm a nerd, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what we did? I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're owning it. <laughs> oh, we have a little bit of housekeeping this week. Um, we don't have as many reviews on uh, the podcast, like on Apple reviews. So remember, if you guys do that, uh, let us know, give us your email address, um, well, email address and your actual address, and we'll send you a sticker for saying, you know, as our way of saying thank you for giving us a review because we sincerely appreciate it. They've all been amazing. Um, we do have a couple of... Um, I guess they're considered reviews that were from our members. Um, and this was about the podcast. So we figured we could use it here. Um, first one is Beverly S. Hi, Beverly. Um, so she put, hello there. I accidentally came across the podcast and I haven't looked back. Thank you gals for creating this membership where we can all become more knowledgeable and meet new people. Thanks again. Uh, for inspiring an old duck. <laughs> and Beverly's adorable because she keeps, she's like me. We keep talking about how old we are in this, this industry of young people like Jordan. <laughs> Please. I've told you that like, it's so weird now because I'm no longer like the youngest one. Like I'm the oldest one now. In yeah, but are you older than your diplomat yet? No. No. See, 
once that happens, you realize how old you are. Yeah. The first time that happened to me, I almost cried because I was like, oh God, I could be a diplomat at this point. Yeah. It makes you feel really old. What's fair. Yeah. Uh, and then we had another one from Kelsey G. She said, I love listening to the podcast. Since I'm a new grad, I'm trying to gain all the knowledge I can to give the best care to my patients. I love learning and appreciate all your notes that you have after the shows. I have a nerd book where I keep everything. You guys have such great ideas when it comes to different techniques that you use in practice. Thank you for all you are doing for the veterinary nursing community. Aww. I know that one was super sweet. <laughs> I'm like, who doesn't have a nerd book? <laughs> right? Oh, we should I was totally so excited do a post to like have everybody show us their nerd books. I know. Cause like I, I got a new binder yesterday. <laughs> and oh, so oh, that's I was putting right. stickers on it. Yeah. Oh, so, and my husband, he did such a good job. Cause I was like super picky. I was like, don't just get me a plain black one or just like a plain, like lame one. I want like a binder. And then, so he brought home one and it's like teal and pink. Oh. And like, I know he knows me so well. And like, he knows fancy. my love of binders and like organizing and stuff. Did he get you like one of those really good ones though? That like mm -hmm. the, the clampy parts don't just like. Yes. Oh, I don't even know what those parts are called, but it's like the three ring part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about, though. And then, like, it opens up very nicely, and it's got yeah. the, the straight side on one side. So, like, that way, too, when you close it. Uh, oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. Again, <clears throat> shag, I'm a nerd. <laughs> We're the excitement I feel. <laughs> I know. The excitement I feel for binders and, like, new pens and highlighters oh. and markers and, and my laminator. I mean, come on now. <laughs> like, That's really funny, because I just got a laminator. <laughs> You know, it's funny too, because I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. shout out Matt on this one because he was giving me crap and saying, you're such a mom, you have a laminator. And I was like, no, I, I'm a nerd. Wait a yeah, I, I will say, <laughs> I will say the reason I got a laminator though is very business-like. It wasn't just for geeky home stuff. Um, because if you're a member in Yet. our membership, I, yeah, I know. I, I, if you're a member in the membership, we created membership cards but I wanted to have them laminated because who doesn't like a membership card that's like laminated. So I had to get a laminator. You had yeah, to. I had to. <laughs> There's no yeah. other option. Yeah. I mean, don't, I haven't laminated anything else with it yet. You Until you come up with a planner like I did and you laminate that and you're like, this is amazing. I can write on this every day. <laughs> I actually, I don't have big laminating sheets. I just have the business card size ones for now. So, so I for can't now. go crazy laminating everything in my house yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, there's something wrong with us, but it's all right. It's okay. You know, it's how we are. All right. <laughs> Well, moving on, this week's episode, because we finished up our liver series last week, this mm -hmm. week we're very excited because we're discussing the immune system. Yes, because the immune system, it is, it is a subject we deal with a lot in internal medicine. Um, what? I know. No. Weird. <laughs> it's because our cases also, kind of like me, their immune systems don't like them. And so, yeah. you know, we got to talk about it. Um, so we're going to go back to basics right now because that's what we do. We talk the basics first and we just really dive into how the immune system functions. Um, this week's episode 
is also race approved for one CE hour. So members can complete the quiz to get your certificate on the internal medicine for vet site under the podcast course. Non-members you can use as self-study in most places, but you just won't get the CE certificate unless you sign up for the membership site. So check it out if you're interested though, or if you want to start earning CE for it. Mm-hmm. It's a cool place, I promise. <laughs> we have some we have some pretty cool members in there. So yeah. Yeah, we do. All right. So this week, um, of course, we're going to start with anatomy and physiology because that's what we do. Um, if you would like some good resources. So, um, I, I have to rein myself in for the immunology section because I get really geeky about immunology because I really love autoimmune disorders. (laughs) So warning the next couple of episodes. (laughs) I was getting pretty intense with this and I was like, don't go too deep. Stop going so deep. (laughs) Um, But we did, uh, we put up a a huge section in the internal medicine for pet parents website. So if you go there and you go internal medicine for pet parents.com slash immunology, um, it really is a good deep dive, especially if you have clients that are dealing with autoimmune issues. It's a, it's a really good, kind of reference point for them, um, to help break down kind of, you know, what we do and why we do and what, what's happening with their pets. Um, so again, (laughs) it is, uh, one of our loves. So we definitely went on a deep dive on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So the immune system's job though, we kind of all know what it does, but (laughs) its job is to detect invading microorganisms as well as abnormal cells within the body. So these are going to be our cancerous cells, um, viruses, bacteria, the immune system bodies to make sure that this doesn't like run rampant throughout the body. Yeah. So the body labels foreign invaders as antigens and antigens are a threat to animals health. So when the body has like the body has mechanisms that will destroy these antigens or these foreign invaders. So we talked about phagocytosis a little bit with the liver. Um, so phagocytosis is the destruction of foreign cells, sometimes the destruction of non-foreign cells, but we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, plus I like phagocytosis just in general, because I like the word and I like that we got Laura to say it. I know. I say phagocyte. Yeah. She says it way prettier. It is really nice. (laughs) (laughs) The body also has a lysis of foreign cell membranes inactivation of pathogenic organisms or chemical substances, and then precipitation or agglutination. So we know what agglutination is. It's where like things get clumpy. Mm -hmm. So uh, agglutination of cells or molecules, and we're going to dive into a little bit more into like what actually does all these things. (laughs) Right. And Um, I think it's hard because I remember in school when I was learning about this, like my brain just was like, it's doing what? So hopefully this is a refresher if you've already, you know, it's been a while since you were in class and had to learn about this. Um, But it it is a really important part of kind of everything that we do with medicine, right? So we we need Mm -hmm. to understand how the immune system works and how it doesn't work. So yeah, 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 exactly. And as we know, if we work in internal medicine, sometimes (laughs) the body will overreact kind of like a woman and just go beyond being protective. (laughs) 
Oh my God, going beyond. It's like, it's like mommy dearest. Yeah, it's like, I'm being protective, but you're actually causing damage. Exactly. It's you, you've just gone too far and now it results in tissue damage. Um, a lot of times when the body will overreact, this is actually an anaphylactic reaction. Mm-hmm. So anaphylactic reactions though can actually lead to immune mediated diseases because of the tissue damage. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is, it's, it's hard because when we have to describe some of these reactions to clients, I I like to bring up um, peanut allergies because I think everybody understands peanut allergies Mm -hmm. um, because, well, because we talk about it so much, right? Um, So I like to tell people, you, you know, an animal, just like with people, there's a spectrum of how intense the immune system will react to it right Mm -hmm. in a normal healthy system an animal a person is not going to react to a peanut they're just going to eat peanuts not be a problem then there's people or animals where they eat peanuts and they just like maybe their mouth feels funny or their stomach kind of hurts a little bit and they're like oh i just don't feel great when i eat a peanut then you have people that eat a peanut And their throat swells and they get hives and they get all of that. So, you know, when we're talking, especially like, like we talked a little bit about food allergies and sensitivities a long time ago (laughs) in one of our episodes, like uh, (laughs) maybe a year ago. Um, But, you know, it, it is really important to say, yeah, not when we're talking about immune system overreactions, it is a sliding scale as far as like how severe or how simple the reaction is. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just one of those things for us to keep in mind as well when we're talking about these things, you know, the one size does not fit all, unfortunately. Well, <laughs> so and it and it varies. So I learned this from my own allergy doctor <laughs> because every time you have an allergic reaction to something, your body's going to have a more intense reaction than the last time. So more antigens. Yes, exactly. So, but you don't think about that. Like my cat allergy, I'm like, yeah, I'm allergic to cats, but over the years I'll go and I'm like, it's getting worse. Like mm-hmm. it's getting worse. They're like, yes, every time you have a reaction, you're exposed your reaction, to that antigen. Yeah. The next time more. your reaction is going to be worse until the point of having an anaphylactic reaction. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, you know, when we do like slit the sublingual immunotherapy, um, what that does is kind of the opposite where they just do a little tiny bit of that. Sorry. I kept saying antigen and I meant antibodies. Body produces more antibodies to the antigen, but we expose the body to those antigens in small micro doses in, mm-hmm. in a way that, the idea is, look, your body's not having reaction. So the, the immune system kind of calms down a little bit. And, and so again, it's, and, it's keeping that overreaction from happening. Yeah. It, Cause we're going to talk about it, what the white blood cells do, but just kind of a brief snippet to give you kind of a glimpse into what we're going to get into your body is going to clone all of these cells to attack all these cells. So when you have an allergic reaction to something, 
there's massive amounts of clones of specific cells that go and attack these. But if you do small doses of things, it's just like with allergy injections, you're given small doses of it. So you can train your body that like, okay, we don't need to release massive amounts of clones mm -hmm. to attack these things. Uh, we can just release a few here and there and know that the body will like combat it well without overreacting. Right. Because there is that wonderful like negative feedback loop within the immune mm -hmm. system that mm -hmm. tells you when to stop reacting and when to stop like attacking cells. Yeah. They're supposed to be. <laughs> right. And, and I, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think it's important to remember when we're talking about anaphylactic or overreactions, we're talking about attacking things that are good that the body is seeing bad. Now we want the immune system to have that kind of a reaction to bad things. So to viruses, to bacteria. Mm -hmm. So again, it's the body does overreact to those things, but it's like, we want it to overreact. We don't want bacteria and viruses and fungus and all that stuff to just come in and the body not react to it. So it's again, the immune system when it works perfectly and it does what it needs to do, it that's good. But when it does it in when it malfunctions, that's when the problem happens. So it's what is it directing it to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when we talk about immunity, we talk about several different like subcategories of immunity. So the first two that we're going to talk about is like our categories are going to be innate immunity and adaptive immunity. So innate immunity is the pet's immunity that it's born with. So this includes like physical and chemical barriers to protect it. So our skin mm -hmm. counts as innate immunity. Like it's protecting things from getting inside of our body. Um, same with like our mucosa. Like, again, I'm going to, when I was writing these notes, I was thinking of the magic school bus because I know <laughs> that they had an episode on how the white blood cells attack things. Mm -hmm. So I will need to find that link. Um, but you have bacteria or a virus go up your nose and you have barriers in place like your nose hair and your mucosa that are supposed to protect it from getting through. And then there's other barriers in place. So if it does get through, then what's the body going to do about that? So right now we're going to talk innate immunity. So these barriers include like the skin, the um, mucus that is formed within your GI tract, within your respiratory tract, stomach acids, lysozymes in tears. And I'm made a joke that yes, crying can protect us, but really we're just like the ability to have tears around your eyes is just protecting viruses and bacteria from getting in your eyes and affecting you that way. Solution um, to pollution is dilution. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do, you, do you not remember? Did you not get told that? No. <laughs> what? Okay. Solution to pollution is dilution. So like when you've got like an abscess or anything and you're flushing it out, the more flesh that you have, the more you're going to get things out. So the solution, I mean, it makes solution, sense. The solution. Wow. I, that was something that I learned in tech school and I love that saying, but it's the same thing for tears, right? If you get yeah. put something in there, flushing it out helps get rid of the bugs. So solution to pollution is dilution. There you go. Got it. <laughs> we should make that our title this, this week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, a pet's body temperature regulation can also help with immunity. We know this. We know that body temperature spikes when we're fighting off something. Fever is not a, always necessarily a bad thing because it's doing a specific job. Mm -hmm. um, phagocytic cells, including our neutrophils, our monocytes, and our tissue macrophage, 
phages, um, macrophages. Natural killer cells or NK cells and cytokines, we'll talk on those a little bit more in detail in a little bit, but those are also part of our innate immunity. Um, the problem with innate immunity is it doesn't have the ability to memorize. So the response is always the same despite the trigger. So mm -hmm. like you get a cut and on your arm or something or a dog gets cut on their arm and you're going to have kind of the same response every time where your your coagulation factors and all that stuff help but you're going to get inflammation you'll get like redness and heat around the area because that's like innate immunity doing the first step of preventing anything from getting through mm -hmm. but whatever gets through is then put on the duty of adaptive immunity which we'll talk about in a minute <laughs> exactly um, so just because you may have been exposed to something, there's so many different, well, I think it's like a dirty knife cutting you, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. the urinate immunity is hopefully less of the dirt gets into your body because it takes a little bit to cut your skin. The blood helps flush some of the toxins and dirt yep. and stuff out. It's part of the reason. Yeah. And then you have your like neutrophils and your monocytes mm -hmm. that are also like helping to get rid of that bacteria before it makes it to the bloodstream. Exactly. In, in theory, that's, that's the hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so innate immunity typically starts with inflammation just because inflammation increases blood flow. So same thing, like we said, you get cut or a pet gets cut or even a bruise that causes inflammation. Anything mm -hmm. that can cause inflammation is going to increase blood flow. And that's going to allow for phagocytic cells and enzymes to accumulate in that area and attack invaders. So just like Yvonne was saying about if you get cut with a dirty knife, your innate immunity is going to start with inflammation. You're going to have increased blood flow and all those cells can go to that site to stop anything from getting in. Or as, as much as possible. I think of, so I'm thinking like the walking dead here, you know, when they always <laughs> like the zombies like bust down the gate and then you have like the first line of defense is your gate basically, but then your semi second line of defense is your, all the people with the guns and all that stuff right mm. at the gate to stop anything from getting through. But then you have a few stragglers that do get through and that's right. where your adaptive immunity comes in. And it's like, I got this. I'm going to take it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to blast but the majority it of the fire. job is happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Minimize the amount of bad cootie zombies that are getting through. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Immunity can sometimes be difficult to truly understand. So, well, there's, there's so much around immunity that, you know, what makes it happen, what suppresses it, what, you know, makes it hyperactive. So there's, it, yeah, it's definitely not simple. So adaptive <laughs> immunity is again, if our invaders are able to bypass the, the innate immunity response, like that is the mucosa of the GI tract, then adaptive immunity kicks in. So you have a virus that comes, you breathe it in, or your dog breathes it, breathes it in like kennel cough. Mm -hmm. And the innate immunity of the respiratory tract doesn't, isn't able to stop it from getting into the bloodstream. So then what happens is your adaptive immunity kicks in. So there are high levels of immunoglobulins or Ig insert letter here mm -hmm. within these tracks. Um, IgA is highly present in the GI tracts and respiratory tracts just to protect it. So 
IgA is an immunoglobulin that binds to microbes. So it binds to the foreign material and it makes these actually too large to truly enter the host. So mm. it doesn't destroy them. It just binds to them. It's like when we have our protein leaking and it just like, it's, it's too big to get through into the bloodstream and actually cause a problem. Right. So it makes it so the cellular, you know, the cellular layer that we have, the mucosa, the, the, the capillaries and stuff like that. Um, if you remember like proteins and like think of crystalloids and colloids, right? Colloids should not be able to pass because the, the proteins in a colloid are too big to fit through. So it's like, um, think of like coffee filters, right? Mm-hmm. You got a smaller filter, so- smaller size filter, you know, less stuff is going to pass through versus a larger sized filter. You're going to have more, debris come through, whether that's coffee grounds or whatever. So exactly, you know, it's, it, if we can bind to those microbes that are tiny and just make them bigger so that they can't pass through. (laughs) I just, okay. I have to say this because in my head, what just popped up was, um, do you remember in a Christmas story, Randy, when he has to wear all the like jackets and the scarves Mm -hmm. and stuff. And he's like, I can't walk. And he like, can't get through doorways. I, that's literally what just popped into my head. I'm like, IGA IGA is all (laughs) the the sweaters and the scarves and everything. (laughs) Nice. There you go. Now you can't get that out of your head. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) So (laughs) nice. There are parts of adaptive immunity that are actually aimed at destroying like a specific antigen or protein. So it's not just trying to make things too large, but there are things that actually destroy these things. And that primarily involves lymphocytes. Mm -hmm. So there's a stimulation, it stimulates the formation of antibodies, which is cell mediated immunity. We'll get into that a little bit more about how antibodies are created. Um, But adaptive immunity also includes humoral humoral immunity. So again, we're going to go into two more subcategories, cell mediated Mm -hmm. immunity and humoral immunity. And they both function very differently there. It's, it's not, they both have their specific jobs. So that is a part of adaptive immunity. So first we're going to discuss cell mediated immunity. So this is when we talk about like our T lymphocytes, our T cells and our B cells, we're talking cell mediated immunity is a function of T lymphocytes. So what they do is they attach to antigens on the surface of foreign cells. So um, remember antigens are the tags of things. So this is yep. like the label that says um, this is a bacteria or this is um, a virus or I think we talked about this a little bit in um, blood typing, like this mm-hmm. is blood type A, we just label it. This is blood type B, we label it. Um, so an antigen isn't a bad thing, right? It's just a label so the body can recognize it and read it. Um, exactly. So just, just so hopefully- don't be worried about antigens. They're, they're good things. <laughs> Yes, antigens are fine. So T cells are processed within the thymus and what they do is they develop antigen receptors. So it's like the keyhole to the key. So they develop antigen receptors on their cell membranes that tell them what antigens they need to attack. So what happens is they'll get a keyhole and they're like, okay, now go find this key and get rid of it. Yeah. So, and 
So what they do is then they circulate throughout the blood system. We'll talk about that a little bit. And these, so these receptors are unique for only one antigen though, and they only have one receptor. So one T cell lymphocyte is only going to attack one antigen. So what happens then hmm. is these T cells travel from the thymus through the blood to the lymph nodes in the spleen, and then they circulate throughout the body, just trying to find their antigen that they're supposed to get rid of. So there's also natural killer cells that are also involved in cell-mediated immunity. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about how T cells actually fight off specific antigens. Um, so what happens is these cells attack cells that have been invaded by viruses or cancer cells. And this can also include transplant cells. So mm. when we talk about like blood transfusions, yeah. some of these blood cells have been labeled as foreign or bad. And then so these T cells will go, go and attack these red blood cells that you just transfused. Um, so an antigen though must be ingested by a macrophage first um, and present on the macrophage cell membrane before a T site uh, T lymphocyte can actually attach to it, antigen which is kind of crazy. Must be ingested by the macrophage first. Yep. Okay. So there's that first line of defense from your innate immunity. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. So it eats it, and then yep. it says, "Hey, here's an antigen." Yep. Come and it come presents take itself care like it. on. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So the T lymphocyte can then attach to it. it. It's a really interesting process when I was reading it because I was like, man, it's way more complicated than when I just think that a white blood cell kills a bacteria. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to remember, like, I'm sure, I'm sure we went over this in school and my brain exploded. <laughs> For sure. So, For sure. So everybody else is, whose brain is exploding right now, don't worry. It gets better. Sometimes yes. you have to see it multiple times to get it. <laughs> And if you guys could have seen Yvonne's look on her face when I said that only one T lymphocyte can actually affect one antigen, she's I, like, there's no way. There's no way. That's got to be so inefficient. Like, I feel like our notes are wrong. Dang it. <laughs> so what happens is once a T lymphocyte attaches to an antigen, like a key, if it's into the receptor site, it becomes an activated T lymphocyte. So once this activated T lymphocyte activates... It, un it then undergoes mitotic divisions over and over and over again to make several clones of itself, which fight the same antigen. Yeah, that makes I mean, that makes sense. Yes. So yes, it's still only one-on-one, -on -one, but then it's like, ooh, I know what you are now, and I'm going to just make tons of these things, tons of these little Roombas to come up and clean you up. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. T-cells are now Roombas. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So when T cells undergo division, though, these divisions develop into three different types of T cells. So we have our cytotoxic T cells, which are our killer T cells. These are the ones that are going to go and actually clean up the things that are not supposed to be in the body. And then we have them divide into helper T cells, which secrete lymphokines or cytokines. And those have their own separate job of activating B lymphocytes or cytotoxic T cells and suppressor cells. So those are like the middleman of like directing traffic, basically. Right. Um, and then you also have it 
divide into suppressor T cells. So remember how I said that there was like a negative feedback loop because, you know, it's mm. internal medicine and mm. what would complete internal medicine without a negative feedback loop? That's all so, <laughs> Yes. So suppressor T cells actually inhibit functions of the helper T cells based off of negative feedback loops. And this just provides control over the immune response. So basically they're going to be like, stop sending T cells and B cells and all of this stuff over to kill these things. Now it's time to slow down and not overreact. Right. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Yes. So, and then a couple little fun facts that I wanted to add in here is usually T lymphocytes leave the lymphoid tissue and circulate throughout the blood in the lymph. So that actually means that most of the lymphocytes that we see on a blood smear are T lymphocytes versus B lymphocytes usually stay in the lymphoid tissue and send out antibodies. And uh, these antibodies are then found in blood and lymph. So when we do test for antibodies, that's what you're testing for is these B lymphocytes. But B and T lymphocytes actually look the same on a blood smear. So there is no way for you to differentiate. Mm. But you're mostly seeing T lymphocytes. So once we get out of the cell-mediated immunity, we're going to move into humoral, humoral immunity. So this is the function of the B lymphocytes. So we just talked T lymphocytes. Now we're talking B lymphocytes. So B lymphocytes transform into plasma cells, and these plasma cells then produce anti antibodies against a specific antigen. So that's going to tell the body, hey, you fought this off before. So if Here's it comes a, again... Exactly. Yeah. You can have a quicker response. Right. Because so, if we remember in, cause we kind of, well, in school, we learned it, right? The first time you're exposed to something, you don't have the antibodies because the body mm -hmm. doesn't realize it's an issue. But then what happens is, right. We, we see the bad thing <laughs> and an antigen is placed on it. And then we create those antibodies and then once it's exposed, our antibodies get produced, they, they spike. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the idea with like vaccines is that mm -hmm. we're exposed to whatever bad antigen it is, create antibodies. So if that, you know, Khaleesi virus or parvovirus or whatever it is shows up again, we can attack it much quicker before it gets out of hand and causes illness know, disease and illness in, yeah. in a patient exactly so exactly you need to be exposed to it whether that's a, a live virus or a killed virus you need to be exposed to it so it can label that protein because that's what it all comes down to as bad so yep so B lymphocytes also form a little puzzle piece and they combine with one specific antigen as well um um, and then these two, just like the T lymphocytes, they clone itself over and over and over again, and then they form plasma cells. So this produces a more specific antibody molecule, and it secretes these antibody molecules into the plasma instead of placing them in their cell membrane. So what happens is we know that when we do our blood testing, like say Lyme disease, we do an antibody test to see if they've ever been exposed to Lyme disease, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this patient's currently fighting Lyme disease. It just means that at some point in their life, they have been exposed. And at one point they have been, their body had fought off Lyme disease. Yeah. And, and it's important to remember that because when we're talking about the body creates antibodies, right? So the higher the amount of antibodies 
right? The stronger the immune response Mm -hmm. and potentially the more recent that immune response, because the antibodies, the body, you know, if, if, if it's sees, let's say Lyme disease, right? If it sees Lyme disease, but just a small amount, there's a minimum number of antibodies that are produced. If it has been infected by Lyme disease and has fought it off, there's going to be a higher, tighter amount, so a higher number of antibodies. But if it's not exposed to that Lyme again, the body goes, well, I, you know, it's not happening again. So the, the antibodies slowly taper off. And so, you know, when they first kind of have that response, you'll see a higher, tighter number. And then if it's not exposed again, you know, we may get down to zero titers, which is if you've got a pet like rabies vaccine, I think that's the one most people think of with like testing your titers because Mm -hmm. a certain, there's like a threshold for the amount of antibodies you want in the body to be able to still fight off that disease. So yeah, exactly. It's all about like how much antibody is floating in the bloodstream to fight off the disease. Exactly. Because these antibodies can seek and destroy. And I've made a comment to insert Metallica song here. (laughs) Um, Please don't because I don't want copyright infringement, Jordan. (laughs) I wasn't going to. I'm just every- sure or listen to it in your mind. (laughs) Everybody now is singing the seek and destroy song. So these antibodies can (laughs) seek and destroy more of the same antigens. So anytime there's like, it's almost like an instant response. Yeah. So if you have a sufficient amount of antibodies, the moment something crosses that barrier, it's it just goes it's to destroyed. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you think about it, the, the more antibodies you have, because it's a, it's a dilution thing, right? Like if you think of the bloodstream, you have, what is it? Five liters of blood, something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. But let's say you only have a hundred antibodies. Well, 100 antibodies and five liters of blood is not going to do anything. But if you've got like 10,000 antibodies, well, you're going to have them everywhere. And so that makes it so that there's a quicker response. So you kind of think of that's the reason why you want the higher titers, because there's a lot of vessel highways to travel (laughs) to make sure nothing comes in. Yeah, exactly. They're definitely good security guards. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then antibodies are also known as immunoglobulins. So we touched on that just a little bit, but there's five specific types of immunoglobulins. So IgG, IgM, IgA, we talked about already, IgE and IgD. So IgG is made during the first exposure to an antigen. So it's also the first antibody to be made by like newborns. So the first thing that something is exposed to, it's gonna make IgG. And that's, if you think about it, I think of Ig gross and that's mucous membrane kind of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. it's just kind of weird. Um, And that makes sense that that's the first one that's done because your mucous membranes is like you're eating (laughs) and that's where you get exposed to the first things really, or your eyes or your nose. So it makes sense that that's where your first response is usually made. Yeah, exactly. And then IgM is created when a pet has been exposed to an antigen for a long period of time, or it's exposed to an antigen a second time. So these are the things that we're thinking about when we get vaccines, or if they had been, it's like when we get exposed to the flu and then you're not supposed to get it again. 
Like it's because you should have IgM. <laughs> right. Um, IgA we talked about, so it's unique because it can actually leave the blood and enter tissue fluids, which is why it's so prevalent in like mucosal tissue and prevent diseases from entering the body through the GI or the respiratory tract, like we already talked about. <laughs> and then IgE is associated with allergic response that an animal might experience. So kind of like Yvonne talked about with your peanut allergy, you're gonna see an, an elevation in IgE. And the way I remember IG IgE is emergency. Yeah, that's your anaphylaxis one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Versus IgD is a function that's actually not well known. I tried to look it up in several different books. <laughs> I don't even remember talking about IgD. I don't remember it either. I think it's a made up one. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. Someone felt left out that they didn't <laughs> discover one, that they were just like, I, I discovered this one. My name is Doug. I don't know what it does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> everything's named after the person that discovered it or created it. <laughs> yeah. So interesting though, that we need to remember that not all like cloned and activated B and T cells, they don't actually all just go straight to fight off invaders. So sometimes they're used as memory cells. So memory cells are super important because they need to circulate throughout the blood or stay within the lymph nodes just to wait for a second infection. And mm. these are the cells that are going to allow for a more rapid immune response. So these are the cells that are going to be like, hey, something came through the gate, go get it. <laughs> it's the border patrol. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then we have just a brief touch on passive immunity versus active immunity. So passive immunity is exactly what it sounds like. It's passive. It does, not a whole lot happens. So this is when antibodies are administered to a pet that were not produced by the animal's own immune system. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking mom to baby. We all know that colostrum is like that first, it has antibodies in it to protect the baby long enough for the baby to start making its own immune system. So if an animal receives passive immunity though, its own immune system does not become activated. So unfortunately there's no memory cells that can be produced. Well, and, and the other thing to remember about passive immunity is specifically when we're talking about colostrum. So colostrum, you know, when we're talking about that, it's, it's only good for a certain amount of time. I believe it's like five to eight weeks, somewhere along that line. So that's why the initial puppy vaccines are recommended um, six to eight weeks of age, uh, because we don't know exactly when the immune system says, oh, I will no longer recognize it because it is passive. So it doesn't make the memory cells, doesn't make all that stuff. And, and you know, <laughs> the problem is the first vaccine we don't know how much of, uh, we don't know how many antibodies are produced by it because it really depends on the immune system. Like if the passive immune system is still active, then it's gonna see the antigen that we just introduced, like let's say for parvovirus, right? It's gonna see that antigen and be like, oh, I got it because the passive immune system is still working. Well, that means that the active immune system hasn't been triggered yet. So those memory cells and all those other things that happen and the titers and stuff like that, those haven't been activated yet, which is why we give another booster at three to four weeks 
after the first one because we're like maybe now the passive immune system is 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 done and <clears throat> we're going to catch and make that active well but it's possible that the passive immune system is still kind of lingering a little bit. So that's why we give that final booster kind of around that 16 week of age, because we're assuming at this point, the active immune system has been triggered by the antigen, which makes the immune, the antibodies, which makes those immune uh, mediated, or excuse me, which makes those memory cells activated. So that's the reason why, unfortunately, there's a series of those vaccines because we don't know exactly when the passive immune system stops working and stops protecting those puppies and kittens. And so we need to get you know, it on board. The other thing that's interesting is, um, I don't know if you've ever done like plasma transfusions for pets, like especially like a parvo puppy that from like a parvo positive or a dog that's had parvo before? I've never done that, but I definitely read about it a lot. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times where they'll like have a dog. It's usually like a staff pet or something that was surrendered and had parvo. <laughs> um, but they'll take plasma from that pet because in theory has a lot of antibodies to parvo and give it to the puppy. But that's a passive immunity. So it gets them through the the parvo problem, right? And helps attack the parvo virus, but it doesn't create that long-term, you know, the long-term antibodies and, and stuff like that to help prevent infection in the future. That's the puppy's immune system that needs to be activated and figure it out and, and create the antibodies and create the antigen tags and all that stuff. So, mm -hmm it's interesting. <laughs> it's definitely interesting because active immunity is what it sounds like. That's one. So kind of what Yvonne was talking about, active immunity is like when we give vaccines, what it does is it's meant to stimulate the immune system, actually form antigens and tag things and form memory cells by administering modified antigens to initiate that immune response, but without causing disease. So the purpose of giving vaccines is to, we, we wanna stimulate the immune system to tag these things and fight them off, but not give too much where the body has, has to struggle to fight it off, but enough to form memory cells. So that way, when a dog does get exposed to distemper, it's easily, it's able to easily and rapidly form a, um, immune response without causing disease. When we're talking about, so we've talked about how the immune system works. Um, we kind of talked about some of the uh, overactions of immune system and we kind of forgot to talk about hypersensitivities because that is a term that um, we definitely talk about. So remember there's a type one hypersensitivity. So that's kind of, um, where IgE, so remember Ig emergency, the IgE antibodies and mast cells happen. So remember mast cells um, release histamine and all of that stuff, which causes inflammation and anaphylaxis. So that's a type one hypersensitivity. Then there's type two hypersensitivity, which is IgG and or IgM. Um, and so those two kind of work together 
and it's more of the longer longer term and then type three is um there's a lot of immune system stuff that's involved in it there's complements of it there's neutrophils it's it's just like the immune complex is kind of all working together and then type four hypersensitivity is by t lymphocytes so um, you know, there, there are those four types of hypersensitivities. So just keep that in the back of your head. Um, Merck manual, we, we referenced Merck manual a ton in this episode. So definitely check out their, their, the MerckVetManual.com and then look under immune system. It, it talks about it there as well. Another thing to kind of think about when we're talking about the immune system is when we have a hospitalized patient and the immune system that overreaction gets triggered and we get SIRS, so systemic inflammatory response syndrome. Um, that, that's like that acute inflammation that turns on our immune system and it can cause, you know, discomfort, tissue damage, systemic disease, and just kind of all sorts of things. So if, if we start seeing, you know, the SIRS happen, then we need to we need to work very hard to to stop that because usually it's severe infections or massive tissue damage that's happened and what happens is a lot of cytokines have react, uh, been released and oxygen and and free radicals are in the bloodstream causing you know this this more inflammation and it's it's shock to the system. And that shock is called systemic inflammatory response syndrome. Um, and it's, it's definitely a critical case that once that happens, it's, it's almost, it's almost impossible to really kind of reverse it, but that's because the immune system is just like gone off the deep end and is overreacting. So that's another issue. The opposite end of the spectrum is where the immune system is not working as well. So like an immunodeficiency. So there's, there's kind of two categories for immune deficiency. So one is considered primary or congenital immunodeficiency. And then the second is like um, secondary immunodeficiency, which is usually um, acquired or secondary to something. So primary or congenital, we usually see these immunodeficiencies in patients that are really young, usually less than six months old. Um, and that's it, like their, assist, their immune system just isn't responding the way that it should. So they get sick really often. And most of these are like our failure to thrive kids. Um, so that's kind of the first group. Secondary group, the, the, the acquired immunodeficiencies, they tend to be in older animals. There's usually like a viral infection. So like at the LV, FIV, um, that's kind of the ones that I think of. And, or it could be that there's tumors that is in the body. Cause again, cancer can do whatever it wants. So it can set off immunodeficiency. Um, and one of the things that's kind of interesting that the Merck vet manual was talking about is that when you're trying to diagnose, uh, like what kind of immunodeficiency you're dealing with when we're talking about innate or antibody mediated immune systems if that part of it is broken 
then it's usually really bad bacterial infections that happen. Whereas like if you've got cell mediated immune system um, that is, is having issues of so like bloodstream type stuff, then it's usually viral and back, uh, or excuse me, viral and fungal infections. So it's kind of interesting that thinking about the two different parts of the immune system that could be not functioning properly and, and trying to diagnose it. So there's a lot of diseases that will cause immunodeficiency. I, and I think in internal medicine, I think the biggest thing that we deal with is immune suppression. <laughs> I feel like all of our internal medicine patients are immune suppression. And that's either they've got, you know, one of these diseases that we've talked about that, you know, has overwhelmed the immune system or <laughs> in the case with internal medicine, we are actively suppressing the immune system because they've got an overactive immune system. And we'll talk about that definitely more in the next couple episodes when we talk about, because I think we're doing what, IMHA and ITP next? Yeah, just doing. a little bit. I think we'll just touch on it a little. Just, just a little bit on the IMHA. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for us, you know, uh, glucocorticoids, so prednisone is the big one that we think of, or prednisolone, um, or specifically immune suppressive drugs like atopica, leflonamide, mycophenolate, azathioprine. Um, and then, you know, chemotherapy, I think of chemotherapy patients, they almost always have some sort of immune suppression because we're like suppressing the bone marrow or some of those other things. So like chlorambusilv and Christine, any of those guys, um, or the immune system is suppressed because it's, you know, it's been overwhelmed and there's nothing really left. So one of the good thing, or one of the things that we have to remember as technicians when we have immune suppression, you know, we need to pay closer attention to those pets because again, we've suppressed the immune system. So a very simple infectious agent that could have been fought off with a normal immune system isn't being fought off. Um, yeah, these guys are more susceptible to even minor infections becoming yeah. not minor or like a UTI or an upper respiratory mm -hmm. um, can very easily turn into things that it's very hard to combat, especially if we are also trying to suppress their immune system at the same time. Yeah, it's, it is a fine balancing act. Um, and, and that's just something when we're having that communication with a client too, if we've got immune suppressive drugs on board, we need to them to be vigilant and say, you know, if they're lethargic or if we notice a, a temperature, especially with chemotherapy drugs, if a patient has a temperature, which means it could be 102.5, because with those drugs on board, the immune system should not be responding. So if you have a fever, that can potentially be an emergency situation because that means something is overwhelming them. We need to, we need to figure out what that is. Um, the other thing too, and I don't know, do you talk about vaccines with clients on immune, well, not clients on immune suppression, but <laughs> patients that are immune suppressed, you talk to clients? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. And I figured we'd touch on that pretty indeed. Well, cause we talk about antibiotics too. Like we just had someone call the other day and they want to get a dental done and they're like, can like I say anesthesia fine? We're like, yeah, anesthesia is fine. Just certain antibiotics are not like, and so yes, we do 
have those conversations frequently. Yeah. And well, and, and that's specific, I think to autoimmune diseases, but I think just in general, I see this unfortunately happen where a patient is on like, especially like steroids. I think of steroids kind of as the, the big one where they're on these whopping immune suppressive doses of steroids and then they go and get a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, cool. You just threw your money away because yeah. you are suppressing the immune system. So giving them a vaccine to stimulate the immune system to produce antibodies, it's not going to work. <laughs> like, so if they're on immune suppressing drugs, giving them a vaccine will not do much. You're not going to make yeah. the immune system react because we've told it not to. So yeah, think about yeah, that. Um, and then immune support. I mean, I guess like I think of vitamins, like I think of like vitamin B and vitamin C, like, you know, we talk about that for people too. Um, just like having good nutrition is huge, making mm-hmm. sure they're healthy otherwise. Um, like I think of uh, antivirals too. So um, why can't I think of it right now? Like lysine. L-lysine. Yeah. But yeah, L-lysine and then just vitamins, minerals and stuff and, and just clean environment and, and all that fun stuff. So, you know, the immune system, obviously <laughs> there's a lot to it and we only covered a little portion of it, but mm-hmm. hopefully that, that helps kind of hopefully round it out. <laughs> <laughs> and to go along with like everything we just discussed, our caution for this week is just because the body has the ability to fight off infection. Some diseases progress so rapidly yeah. that a patient's life can actually be threatened before the body's even able to launch an immune response. So that's why we do see some of those young patients who don't have that ability to, they don't have those memory cells. And so by the time that their immune system starting to kick in, it's just overrun with infection or inflammation or freaking SARS. Right? <laughs> or yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. And, and that's where nursing care really comes in, right? So making sure yeah. they're, they're clean in their kennels and we're monitoring really closely, like their respiration rates, their temperatures, you know, all that stuff. Well, that, and you're doing everything in your ability as an, a technician or a nurse to make sure that their body doesn't have to worry about anything else other than fighting the current infection. Mm -hmm. So yes, keeping their housing clean, keeping their bedding clean, keeping their catheter clean. If that even means changing it or changing your wrap on a daily basis, like something as simple as changing your wrap or changing your IV lines every day, Mm -hmm. not letting your IV line touch the floor. They're huge things for these patients who are trying so hard to come back from just being hit so hard from some sort of infection or some sort of immune response or chemotherapy or, you know, whatever it is mm-hmm. that might be overwhelming that immune system. Um, yeah. I, and, you know, wearing gloves, wearing gloves between yeah. patients. Um, Especially if you have some leukopenia happening as right. well. Yeah, exactly. Please, Especially please. Leukopenia, please be careful. And you don't want to transmit between patients. Um, you know, we're not even talking like zoonotic stuff, but like between patients, we want to make sure we're keeping a close eye on, on not infecting them with something. Because again, if their immune system is, is being suppressed, their immunosuppressed, you know, 
something as simple as like the herpes virus from the cat next door that's having a flare from being stressed in the hospital, you know, if you're not washing and not taking care of it, it could transmit to the one next to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas normally it wouldn't get it, but because the immune system's suppressed, the virus gets in, you know? So it's, it's all those things, this veterinary technicians and nurses that we get to, uh, to deal with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The wonderful tightrope act. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the tip of the week. So the tip of the week this week is just kind of leading into next week's episode. So because we're talking about the immune system and how the immune system is supposed to properly function, next week we're going to talk about when it malfunctions. So when the immune system malfunction, it starts to label itself as non-self or foreign objects. Mm-hmm. So that is what classifies an autoimmune disease. So things such as IMHA, the body produces antibodies against its own red blood cells. So it tags these red blood cells as being foreign so then your in your cells that are supposed to eat, seek and destroy seek and destroy things that are actually supposed to be in the body yeah. so when these antibodies cling to the red blood cell membranes this causes these cells to agglutinate or clump together which is why one of the clear indicators of imha is autoagglutination um yeah. is because these cells are agglutinating and clumping together and then these clumps are then detected by macrophages within the spleen and removed and destroyed which is caused which causes the anemia. So just a brief tip as to how IMHA kind of works or how the immune system starts to malfunction, just to lead us into next week's episode. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if we have like, especially like an inflammatory response in the body, we've got this chronic inflammation going on. The body goes, why do we have this inflammation? And then it may just accidentally label something. So like the red blood cell and be like, well, that's the cause of the inflammation. When in reality, that's not what causes the re the, the inflammation, but the immune system got it wrong. And then mm-hmm. somebody's like, that's Oh, somebody you labeled doing... something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's somebody not doing their job correctly and being no. a little sloppy. <laughs> and they should be fired. <laughs> yes. But then the entire body goes, Oh, it's red blood cells. That's what's causing inflammation. And so uh, Unfortunately, yeah. the, the body is too dependent on people doing their job the right way. Yeah. Like it doesn't question it. It's like, it must be right. Oh, like, keep going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the like, worst company ever. Yeah. It's like in Monsters, Inc. When the, when the, you know, <laughs> the sock gets on the monster. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is an inappropriate labeling. It's not the monster nor the sock, but oh well, he got shaved. <laughs> he, he pulled it off though. It was fine. Yeah. and now for the question of the week and then this week's question of the week is are you a nerd first of all do you have a love for the immune system or still a slight fear from lack of true understanding yes because i definitely (laughs) yes (laughs) i have a i definitely had a fear of like just autoimmune diseases and the immune system in general like i remember doing my vte and i was like whew we made it past that like we made it past very because the vte is like very few like random questions but it's not like a true question on the immune system right and i think it's probably geared more towards like vaccination or yeah exactly the the common like flv fiv kind of thing so yeah yeah but you don't actually like in tech school i don't think like 
we learned about the immune system, but not to the degree that I learn it now. And so I definitely had that fear yeah. until I made my way into internal medicine. And then I was like, <laughs> oh. and then when I was starting to learn on my own, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense and is so much less scary. Like it's so much more yeah. um, like easier to understand. Well, in tech school too, like you were just, you probably the first time you ever heard about any of these things and mm-hmm. you're like, holy moly. Like it's, it's super well, not to mention, yeah. you're learning about everything. You're learning about every species. <laughs> like, you're learning a whole new language called um, medical speak. Yes. You're like, what is a fad? Medical speak. And you're like, eating, yes. pino, drinking. Okay. And then, you know, yeah. you're trying to remember that for all of your cells and yeah. <laughs> and then all these brand new calculations that you never had to do in high school and like... <laughs> And yeah, just like learning about hamsters and wet tail. And then like, it's just. I'm glad I'm not in tech school right now. And I'm sorry for all of you that are right now. I feel you. I've been there. I've been sitting in that class, brain hurting, not understanding what is being said at me. It definitely gets easier as you get past tech school. <laughs> yes. Like you start to understand <laughs> things a little bit more. Thank God. Yeah. You're like, oh, I understand this medical term. Cool. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Once you start putting things with patients, everything is easier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why doing case studies, really, it really does help. So even if yeah. you don't have to do a case study, it's a great way to learn um, and, and, you know, understand why we do what we do and why we use the drugs that we used, why we did the um, diagnostics and all that stuff. So yeah, but the immune system, do you love it? Are you scared of it? Do you have a love-hate relationship to it? Definitely let us know. Um, So you can let us know in the Facebook group, or if you're in the membership group, you can answer that question of the week in the thread in the forum. Um, And yeah, do we have anything else for this week? Nope. I think that is it for this week as we dive into our immune series. It's going to be shorter series than the rest of them because then we are celebrating our one year anniversary. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll do, um, we'll do two weeks of IMHAITP because they're very, very similar. Yeah. I was going to say there's, they're so similar and and really related. So we'll, we'll break it down kind of in a two-parter. Then we have our celebration week. I'm so excited. I can't, I can't wait. We're, uh, We're going to do fun things. I know. Well, because it's Vet Tech Appreciation Week. It's our one year of the of the podcast. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be kind of epic. We've got prizes. We've got um, some bonus episodes that'll go live that week. I mean, it's. I'm excited. I'm super excited. We've I'm got excited crossover too. podcasts going on. Ugh, it'll be fun. Um, so definitely check out our Facebook posts, um, about what we'll be doing that week. If you're in the membership, we've got questions for you because we're, we're working on some stuff specifically for our members to be part of. Um, yeah, but Vet Tech Week 2020 should be epic. (laughs) As epic as it can be this year. Yes. Oh, before I forget, we have our, uh, we have our webinar. Oh, right. Oh my gosh. We we forgot about mentioning the webinar. We are kicking off Vet Tech Appreciation Week with a webinar. 
And our webinar is going to be Sunday, October 11th at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or 11.30 Eastern Time. And if you're in a different time zone, sorry, you'll have to convert that time yourself. And we are going to be doing, um, the, the webinar is going to be on platelet counts and platelet estimates. And we're going to talk about platelets because, you know, we just finished our IMHA ITP series at that point. You might want to know. The Lord knows you count platelets every day when you have one of those cases in the hospital. Exactly. Do a manual platelet count. How are we doing? Um, so we'll, we'll do a webinar for that for about an hour. Um, and so we would love for you to join us. We'll put the link on how to get to that webinar, both on the Facebook page, on this and the show notes and then the membership. So, um, we can have people joining us. And if you join us live for that webinar, we're going to have goodies because it's going to be the launch of vet tech week. So, um, definitely come join and it'll be race approved. So it'll be one hour of CE for that webinar. Um, and it's a live one. So it counts, uh, for live interactive CE for you. Yeah. Good old race approved CE. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, exactly. Or if you're in Australia or the UK, it is CPD. <laughs> or any other country. I don't know what yeah. all the countries do. I think I'm pretty sure Canada says CE. I don't know about the rest of them, but I know UK and Canada or sorry, UK and Australia is CPD which is kind of cool. I, I like that it's CPD and CE, similar stuff, just different acronyms, um, but it'll count towards that. So, all right, guys. Um, I think that wraps up this week. Uh, I hope you learned a little bit about the immune system or how to refresh your course on the immune system. And uh, we will see you next week and let us know if you need anything, any questions. Otherwise, you know, just keep being the rock star techs that you guys are. Keep getting your learn on. And we'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Hi, guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.